This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Again, to Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, this is where we have been for a while, and we have some breaks between because of Easter and visiting speakers and holidays and all the rest of it. Uh, but we're coming back uh, to Ephesians chapter 6. I'm reading from verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having girded, your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Let's just stop there. Now, we're continuing, of course, our journey through the book of Ephesians, and uh, I think this is part 15 overall, but it's part four of this particular section uh, dealing with uh, the Christian's warfare, or spiritual warfare, as it may be called. Uh, we did say, of course, the book can conveniently be uh, separate into three distinct areas, the Christian's wealth, the Christian's walk, and the Christian's warfare. And it's the latter part uh, that we're at now. And we have looked, of course, that we have been, we looked at the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, our feet being shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And now we come to what Paul describes as an essential part of our armor, above all, taking the shield of faith. If there's any hope, that we are ever going to overcome the evil one, it will not be without this piece of armor. Our own self-confidence alone will not be enough to quench his fiery darts. His wiles, his cunnings, his strategies, his plans will be too much for our human flimsy defenses. And that's why we must have on the whole armor of God, and especially the shield of faith, above all, taking the shield of faith. Hebrews 11 and 6 says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. So faith is essential uh, as a believer. And without faith, none of us can receive what God offers by his grace. Faith is the hand that takes from the grace of God. For by grace are you saved through faith. And so faith is something that's vital to receive from the hand of God. Two and a half feet broad, 
had got a rim around it about a hand's breadth. It was made uh, of two layers of wood with canvas on the inside and leather on the outside, and the leather was invariably rubbed with oil to keep it subtle, supple, and also in case an arrow maybe would deflect off it. And so it was a vital piece of equipment. Uh, it could be used obviously either in the left hand or the right hand, depending which you were, and obviously putting it up, it would cover a good part of the front of the body or the side or even around the back. Or actually overhead, it could be held overhead in case arrows would be raining down uh, from above. And they say it was made in such a way that it could be interlocked with other soldiers standing in the right and the left. So to put up a whole wall of defense against the, the foe that would be coming against them. Aren't you glad that you're not fighting this battle alone, but that you have brothers and sisters by your side who will hold up your hands in prayer and help you in your struggles of life? And so we need that, and we need this uh, shield of faith. What is faith? What are its qualities? How does it work? Is it definable? Is it explainable? Is it observable? What is faith? Because it's impossible to please God without it, so we need to know what it is. So let's begin with a simple definition of faith. The most word that is commonly used in the New Testament for faith is pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S, pistis. And it has various shades of meaning, like assurance, or belief, or confidence, or trust. Our conviction. A man or woman with a conviction is never at the mercy of a man with just an argument or an opinion. This church did not come about because some people had an opinion about it. It came about because a few of us had a conviction about it. And it was that conviction that made us step out in faith and do this for the glory of God. It wasn't just an opinion. It was an absolute conviction that it was the right thing to do. We have lots of opinions, but very few uh, convictions. And we need convictions if we're ever going to do anything for God's kingdom. And so faith or pistis is trust or confidence cherished by a firm conviction. Trust or confidence cherished by a firm conviction. Kramer says that faith is more than a, an intellectual assent. It is a moral commitment. It is a personal surrender of one's will to God's will. Without the element of submission, there is no real faith. There's no such thing as trust without obedience. If we say we have faith, then we will trust and we will obey. That will be the essence of it. Ralph Earl, a New Testament scholar, says faith is actually the reaction of one's whole being, intellectual, moral, emotional, spiritual, to God and his word. It is a belief of the mind, submission of the heart, and obedience of the will. I'll say that again. It is belief of the mind, submission of the heart, and obedience of the will. Faith at best is thought of as the total response of the human personality to the divine command. So in other words, faith involves trust, dependency, reliance upon God and his word. W.E. Vine, another great scholar, says, the main elements in faith in its relationship, in its relation to the invisible God is distinct from man 
are this, a firm conviction producing a full acknowledgement of God's revelation or truth and a personal surrender to him. So there's four definitions. And you will have noticed that in these definitions, there's phrases like reliance upon God, a surrender to him, submission of the heart. Faith is the very bedrock of our relationship to God. It's the bedrock, it's the foundation of our whole relationship uh, to the Lord. In Romans chapter 4, in fact, we may want to look at this. In Romans chapter 4, speaking of Abraham, and in verse 3, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And then on down to verse 17. If I ever can find it in this Bible. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who, contrary to hope, in hope believed, contrary to just natural hope, in spiritual hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. In Hebrews 11 and 11, it says that Sarah believed also. I know that she laughed because it seemed incredulous that she, at 90 years old, could give birth to a child. No wonder she laughed. But yet, in the end, she believed. She judged him who was faithful and believed God. And so, belief in God is more than just something that's abstract. It's something that's real and it's focused. The object of Abraham's faith was God himself. The opportunity for his faith was to believe his promise. But the object, Abraham, it says, believed God. And once he believed God, then he could believe what God said. Do you remember in Matthew 14 how that Jesus came on to the disciples in the boat in the midst of the storm, walking on the water? And, and how that Peter uh, spoke to the Lord and says, Lord, if it is you... That was the object of his faith. Lord, if it is you, and then the opportunity for his faith, bid me come on the water. And Jesus says, come. And there was the opportunity for his faith to work. But it wasn't the object of his faith. Christ was the object of his faith. So let's understand that when we talk about faith, it's faith in a person. It's faith in God. It's not a faith in a thing. It's faith in God, but the opportunity for our faith will be whatever he has promised or whatever we feel he is speaking to us. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary, said, how do you strengthen your faith? 
not by striving after it, but by resting on the faithful one. That's how we strengthen our faith. Keeping in touch every day with God and resting in him and trusting him. Now, man generally has his own natural faith. When you come in this morning, he sat down in one of those chairs. He never looked at it. He never lifted it and shook it to see if it's firm. He sat down, not even thinking for one second whether it would hold your weight or not. That's just natural human faith. And we need that. We, we can't exist without that. But that's not saving faith. That's not faith that's putting your trust in God. That's just human natural faith that everybody has. But not everybody has faith in God, uh, Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 3, 2. For not, for not all men have faith. What faith is he talking about? He's talking about faith in God. Not all men has faith in God. That's what he's saying. But he also said that every believer has faith in God. Romans 12 and 3. God has given to every one of us the measure of faith. So God gave us the very faith we needed to believe him for our salvation. He offered us his salvation free by grace, but to receive that we needed faith, and God deposited that measure of faith into our hearts to receive him. And that measure of faith is still there. And we live by faith every single day, and our faith can grow, our faith can expand, but he has given us the measure of faith. Thank God that you have faith today because there's lots doesn't have it. <coughs> but thank God you have it. What faith are we talking about? Mark 11, 23 talks about the God kind of faith, the faith that God has got. Faith that God has got, faith that God imparts to us, it's supernatural. It's beyond the natural faith. It's supernatural. It's the God kind of faith it's something that God himself deposits within our hearts to trust him and to believe him. It's the Hebrews 11 kind of faith, the faith that subdues kingdoms, that stops the mouth of lions, that clenches the fiery darts, that obtains promises, that makes the barn give birth. That's the faith that God gives to each of his children, to see the invisible, to believe the impossible. And with this faith, we are saved, Ephesians 2 and 8. We are justified, Romans 3.28. We're made righteous, Romans 3.22. With this faith, we overcome the world, 1 John 5 and 4. With this faith, we please God, Hebrews 11.6. With this faith, we live. For we live by faith, not by sight, Galatians 2.20. We walk by faith, 2 Corinthians 5 and 7. So faith is an essential part of our lives and particularly the shield of faith. When you're fighting a battle, you need the shield of faith. It's absolutely essential for you. So we talked a little bit about what faith is, but let me mention what faith isn't. It's not merely mental assent. James said, do you believe there's one God? He says, you do well. But he says, the devils also believe that, and they tremble. They believe it more than you believe it. They believe it to the extent where they're shaking in their boots. So it's not just merely mental assent. There's lots of people who say, oh, I believe there's a God. 
They even believe there's a heaven. Not too sure about hell, but I believe there's a heaven because I think I, I would like to go there. You know, I, I believe that, well, I, I believe a good bit of the Bible's true, but there's parts I'm not too sure about. But all that's just mental assent. It's not trusting what God says. It's not trusting in the Lord. It's just head knowledge. One writer says, faith is more than thinking something is true. It's thinking something is true to the extent that we act on it. And that's what makes the difference. And so it's not just merely mental assent. It's not just natural faith or sense knowledge. You know, when you read Hebrews 1 and Hebrews 11 and Genesis 1 and Psalm 19 and many other scriptures, when you read about God's creation, and you know my love for astronomy, and it amazes me how that people can spend their whole life looking at the stars, or some, some people spend their whole life researching a rock in space and written theses on it and got doctrines about it, and they still don't believe in God. They cannot see the creator in his creation. They're blinded to that. They suppress the truth in that. And that's just sense knowledge. And then there's faith in oneself. But it should be faith in God. What is the source of our faith? The source of our faith is the living word of God, first of all. In Hebrews chapter 12, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. I've often said if he's not the author of your faith, he will, faith, he'll not be the finisher of it. But if he is the author of your faith, he will be the finisher of it. We can trust him. We can keep looking to him. The source of our faith is, first of all, the living word, Christ himself, the one who came to this earth as the word of God incarnate. And we look to him and we trust him and we believe in him. Secondly, it's the written word in Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the word, word there in Romans 10, 17 is rhema. Rhema, which is a now word. It's more than what God has said. It's what God is saying. This is what God has said. This book from beginning to end. But as we read this and we search this and we look for answers in life through this book, then often God will give us a now word. This is what God's saying right now to me. Have you ever read scriptures, maybe a particular portion that's familiar to you, you've read it a thousand times, and then suddenly one day it just leaps out of the page and just grabs you, and you see it for the first time because right at that moment, that's what you needed. That's what God was saying to you right then, not what he is saying, what he's saying. And that's the wonderful thing about a rhema word, a now word, and that's why we should keep our nose in the Bible and search it and research it and look at it and read it again and again. You say, but I've read the gospel so many times. Keep reading. 
Because someday you're going to be in a jam, you're going to be in a fix, you're going through a difficulty. And as you read that, it's amazing how God will just direct you to the right passage. You say, well, I like a lucky dip approach. You know, I just like to dip in here and there. Read it through. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit, as you read through the scriptures, and the very day you need a word, a now word, that'll be your reading that day, and suddenly it'll light up to you. This is what builds our faith. Look into Christ. Look into the Word of God. And that strengthens your hand in the battles of life. <coughs> now, there are a few sides <coughs> to faith. There's the intellectual side. I'm not talking about academia here. I'm talking about having knowledge. You can have knowledge without faith, but you can't have faith without knowledge. It's not blind faith. It's knowledge of what God says. It's knowing God and his word and what he says. And the more you read this, the more knowledge you will have and the more understanding you will have. And then it'll make a lot more sense to you. And so it's based on knowing someone and knowing something, knowing God and knowing his word. And that is the emotional side. And this is the heart responding to truth. Now, faith is not feeling. Although you will get some feelings with your faith, but faith is not feeling. If we were going to go by our feelings, we wouldn't get very far. Sure, we wouldn't. Because one day our feelings are wonderful, the next day they, they're rock bottom. Luther said, feelings come and feelings go, but feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God. Not else is worth believing. It doesn't change. Our feelings change depending on our circumstances. Somebody says that the, the order is fact, faith, feelings. Fact, this is what God's word says. Faith, I'm going to believe that. And then feelings come after that. But don't put the feelings first. If you put the feelings first, you'll doubt the facts. You'll begin to doubt God's word. And then what are you going to base your faith on? Your feelings. And that doesn't work. And so there's that emotional side. And then there's a the volitional side. This is where the heart and the will commits and trusts God and is moved to act. Isaiah 28 and 16. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. A rough translation, whoever believes will not act out of panic. Have you ever acted out of panic? Or am I the only one who can put two hands up and say, yes, I've done that? We all have acted out of sheer panic, not knowing what to do. We've got to do something we feel. We must do something. And we panic and do the wrong thing. He that believes will not act out of panic. He that believes will say, Lord, I don't understand. I can't figure this out. I don't know what to do next, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to put my faith in you and you alone, and you will guide me and guard me in this battle. When you do that, you're putting that shield of faith up. Faith doesn't take the <coughs> pace out of life, it takes the panic out of life. 
Life is fast moving, isn't it? Stuff happens quickly. I know it's an old saying, things just don't happen themselves. It usually happens two or three things at the one time, and suddenly you're bombarded. And suddenly everything's rushing in on you. And that's when the panic sets in. And that's when we need to take a step back and say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. <coughs> Give me this day my daily bread. I'm going to believe you. Why would the devil want to stop your faith? Because that is the invisible link between the kingdom of God in heaven and the kingdom of God on earth. And if we're going to receive anything from the kingdom of God in heaven, it's going to have to be by faith. That's the only way we're going to get it. No wonder the devil wants to break that link because he doesn't want us to receive from God. And he wants to stop that ability for us to believe God and trust God. And that's why it causes situations to get us to panic and be fearful and anxious and worried and sick. Taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. The Roman soldier was very aware that some of the enemies they faced had fiery darts. They would tip their arrows into some combustible element like pitch set it in fire and fire them at them. And that's why the shoes was so important to try to deflect at least to stop them hitting them bodily. To get hit with an arrow is bad enough to get hit with a flaming arrow was even worse. And the devil has fiery darts that he throws at us and if one hits us, it's going to hurt us. If we do not have our shield of faith up, or we're careless with our shield of faith, and he hits us with a fiery dart, it will burn in us. And that fiery dart may be a, a passion that's wrong, a wrong desire, or it could be jealousy or envy or bitterness, or unforgiveness, or hatred, or something like that that comes against us, and if it hits us and it begins to lodge in us, it'll burn a hole in our spirit. So we must be careful to keep our shield of faith up, because <coughs> the enemy loves nothing better than to fire those fiery darts and hit us because he knows it does damage. So we need the shield of faith to quench those fiery darts, to put that fire out. And sometimes, there's times we just have to say, God, I don't know why that person did that against me, but I'm going to trust you. God, it's not fair what happened to me, but I'm going to trust you. Lord, this is not right what they did, but I'm going to trust you. 
Because otherwise, if we don't get that shield of faith up quickly and that fiery dirt goes in us, it'll eat away at us. It'll eat ourselves spiritually, the energy of ourselves spiritually. So we need actually to be able to keep that shield of faith up. God has given us divine armor, invisible armor. Can't be seen by the naked eye, but it's there for us to wear spiritually in our lives. And all of this from time to time has been negligent. I have, you have. We didn't have our shield of faith up. A fiery dart came, struck us. And for a day or a week or a month or a year, it was burning in us. Had we had our shield of faith up, we could have deflected that. But it's got through and it's burning, so we need to deal with it. We need to deal with that. And say, Lord, I can't live with these thoughts. I can't live with this bitterness or this unforgiveness or this hatred or this whatever. I can't live with this. And we take it to the Lord and we repent of it and we deal with it and then we move on in life. And so God has given us equipment. And tonight, if God spares us, we're going to go a little bit further and we're getting towards the end of this and we're going to look at the helmet of salvation. And then next week, as we finish, we're going to look at the sword of the Spirit. But the helmet of salvation is vitally important. Vitally important. The biggest battles you will face will be in your mind. It'll not be your heart, it'll be in your mind. And that's the area where the enemy wants to attack. So we need that helmet of salvation firmly placed on our head. Not talking about being saved here. You're really saved. But that helmet, what does that mean, the helmet of salvation? We're going to talk about that tonight because at the end of it, we want to be fully equipped, have the armor of God on, and then the sword of the Spirit, which is for the offensive, is to go on the attack. Everything else is to defend us, but we need to go on the attack. We don't want to live as Christian lives just carrying behind our defenses every time the devil comes, but we want to go on the attack. There's some things we have to attack and take the sword of the Spirit to in order to win in the battles of life. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have not left us defenseless against the foe. That you have equipped us to go through this life in victory. Lord, you have given us all that is necessary to win each battle in life. And some of those battles will be long, some will be short, some will be high intensity, some will be slow burning. But Lord, you have given us everything we need to come out the other side in total victory. Thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in Christ. So we bless you today and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. 
Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information www.mpc.org.uk